Hello, I'm Arianna Raji Lee, founder of Pasha Mama, and welcome to our conversation, In Conversation, the podcast where I speak to women's health practitioners, baby and toddler experts, mamas and mums-to-be, to find out about what they do and how their story can support you through modern motherhood. Let's get started, shall we? Hi guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode. Um, I hope you are doing well. Um, I don't think this episode could have come at a more um, appropriate time. Um, Dr. Andy Mayers and I recorded the episode last week just before the new lockdown measures came into effect in England. Um, And if you're listening to this on the date of release, uh, which is Thursday, the 12th of November. Um, It's Pashamama Wellness Week, which is a week of free virtual events um, centered around well-being for everyone, really, um, but mainly for new and expecting parents. And each day of the week focuses on a different theme of wellness. And today, Thursday, the 12th, is all around mental health um, and the mind. So it's really topical and really timely. If you are about to give birth or you suffered a traumatic birth experience, then there's a lot within this discussion um, with Andy that I hope can provide you with some support. We talk about the difference between maternal postnatal depression and depression in general. We also talk about paternal or partner uh, postnatal depression and how birth traumas can affect the mother as well as the family as a whole and what support there is for all family members. The conversation is quite eye-opening. I also find it quite sad that as a society, we are not better equipped to support people's mental health during the perinatal period. But I'm also incredibly grateful for the communities and individuals like Andy who are doing the work to move the needle and make mental health support a priority. I've put links to the different support groups um, that Andy mentioned in the show notes. Now, if you're listening to this before 1pm on Thursday, the 12th of November, we are hosting a mental health panel um, on Zoom as part of Pashamama Wellness Week. It's a free panel to attend. Um, We do, we are asking though, if you can, if you're able to, that you pay what you can and all proceeds from the week, um, from all of our sessions and events will go to Black Mothers Matter UK. The panel this afternoon at one will be talking about all things perinatal mental health, the pandemic and the support that you can find um, with an opportunity to ask questions to our panelists of postnatal depression counselors, trainers, survivors of both maternal and paternal postnatal depression. Um, So if you're able to, please do join us this afternoon where we are hoping to start to break the taboos around perinatal mental health, start the conversation for people to know that they are not alone. And speaking of opening the conversation, I hope that you get a lot of insight and knowledge and the support that you need from this conversation with Dr. Andy Mayers. Sit back and have a listen. Hi, Andy, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good, good. Yeah, I'm okay, thanks. Um, I'm really grateful that we have the time to talk about this today. I think that... um, 
particularly as we're sort of headed into the wave of another of tighter lockdown restrictions, particularly in 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 England. Um, you know, the pandemic has really sort of shone a light on mental health issues and or at least the lockdown, the impacts of lockdown definitely has. So I'm really grateful that we can talk about this. I wanted to get straight into the discussion to really understand the difference between maternal postnatal depression and depression in general. Could you explain what the difference is between those two things, please? It's such a good question, and it's one that I'm, I'm glad people do ask me because I think it's important. In terms of the actual diagnosis, of course, I mean, if you look to postnatal depression, all the, all the diagnostic criteria that they use there is exactly the same. So you could argue then, of course, that, oh, well, why is it any different? Well, it's different for a number of reasons between a mother who's diagnosed with these and, let's say, another female, similar age, who isn't a mother? And it, and for me, the, the several points here are that, for, first of all, you know, what one of the key things we see in depression in most people is guilt. But for a mum, that guilt goes through the roof. And that's really important because, you know, there's this perception of being a good enough mum about the societal image of motherhood and all these sorts of things. So not when a when a mum then starts developing these symptoms and she's already feeling pretty wretched about herself in any case now she'll feel even guiltier because she's feeling in a way that a mother shouldn't feel right now and that would put her guilt through the roof and this good enough mum thing will, will will make it even worse for her and also because it's then going to have a potential impact on the interactions she's likely to have with her infant now of course this is also true for anyone else who would be interacting with that infant, including her partner. But for the mother, that, in, that, that guilt would be increased still further. I, now I can't even interact with my child. Another factor here is the breastfeeding thing. Now there's two things here with breastfeeding. First of all, we, we, we can't ignore the, the whole thing about medication, both in pregnancy and in breastfeeding. So whereas a, an obvious option could potentially be for a, for a, a non-mother to be prescribed an antidepressant or an antipsychotic or any other medication for that matter, it's not sim as simple as that with a, um, a, a woman who's pregnant or a woman who's breastfeeding. Now, most of the medications are probably safe, but that's a decision for a medical professional to make. All the same, a mother might not feel that way. Because, and then we, and of course that could potentially have an implication on the breastfeeding because we don't know exactly how, whether the drug is transmitted through the milk. But then there's the breastfeeding itself as well, because this whole thing, particularly for a first time mum, when breastfeeding becomes an issue for her, then it can become even more difficult. Now, it's often thought that it's the pressure to, bre to, to breastfeed that causes the problem. It isn't actually. It's the, it's the way uh, mums who really want to breastfeed who cannot now breastfeed for whatever reason. They're either told that they cannot breastfeed now, maybe because they're ill or they're taking medication, or they simply can't because their illness is preventing it or the medication is preventing it or a combination of all of those things. Now, all of a sudden, she really, really wanted breastfeed and now she can't because of the depression. Their guilt goes through the roof still further. Not only 
which she might say to herself, not only can am I a rubbish mum because I'm feeling this way, I'm a rubbish mum because I can't interact with my child and now I can't even breastfeed, the simplest thing for a mum to do. For those reasons, for me, it's entirely different for a mum to be diagnosed with this at this time. Gosh, that um, that was really, really interesting. I'd not really heard about sort of, uh, you know, the guilt in depression. I know, you know, I hear a lot about mum guilt. I'm not a not a parent myself, but you hear a lot about mum guilt. You definitely hear about the sort of pressures that are that that, as you say, new mums in particular face when it comes to breastfeeding. It's a very very sensitive subject for a lot of people. Um, but I'd not heard about it put depression sort of put in that context of guilt and how it sort of shoots it through the roof. That's really. That's um, it's a really interesting way of, of of seeing how the illness can sort of manifest and become become worse. Are there ways in which, I guess, the guilt can be lightened in any way, shape, or form? It absolutely can, and this is some of the things that we can do. Because when this is, the, I suppose, another factor within maternal postnatal depression, the focus shouldn't just be on trying to get mum well. It should also focus on how we can help with all these other things that are going on, including the breastfeeding, the interaction with the child and all of those things. So this is why we need mother and baby units everywhere. And this is beginning to happen now. I mean, a few years ago, there simply wasn't enough and now it's beginning to happen. And one of the things that would happen either in a mother and baby unit or a community perinatal mental health team is not just work with mum, maybe with counselling or perhaps with medication to get her better, but, but to work on those things about the guilt and about using the interaction and perhaps even breastfeeding to improve that bond between the mother and the baby. That makes her feel better about herself. It gets that bond going. It reduces the guilt and, you know, we can really take it forward from there. Yeah, these um, mum and baby units are um, sort of pivotal to women's recovery um, in some instances. Are they that widely known? Are, are there, are there a, a, a few of them across the country or are they, they still quite, I guess, select? It, well, if we're looking at England, then the picture is, is a lot better than it was, say, five years ago. So through the work that we've done, many of us, through the likes of Maternal Mental Health Alliance and members of that alliance, like the Perinatal Mental Health Partnership that I'm part of, uh, what we did, we campaigned to say we need more. So if we go back, say, five, six years ago, only one quarter of England had either a mother and baby unit or, and or a perinatal mental health community team. And that simply wasn't good enough. So if a mum became unwell in, let's say, Reading, and she could only be um, sent to a mother and baby unit, unit in Manchester for that you know for, for the sake of argument then she's taken many many miles away from home from the rest of her family particularly her partner and and this really doesn't help so now following the campaigning that we did with all the evidence that we provided we there is the anticipation that certainly very very soon within this year um, every locality in England will have at least one of those things. And the picture in Scotland, Northern Ireland, well, is very different. And we need to work on that. But in England, it's looking a lot better. Okay, well, that's good. And so grateful for all the work that you're, you're doing. Um, we've, we've been focusing on, on um, maternal 
mental health, um, perinatal mental health. But this does also impact fathers or partners, I should say, really, um, which I assume that the phrase there is paternal perinatal mental health. Is that right? Yeah, that would do because we, we, we find it quite hard to actually give it a title because of all the connotations with the other things. So, you know, if the question was, can fathers get postnatal depression? Now, if we put it in the context of your first question about how is it very different from mums than it is from other adults, then no, of course they don't, but they do get the symptoms. Yes, fathers can experience poor mental health um, in whether that be depression, um, OCD, PTSD or whatever it might be related to that birth period, they most certainly can. And the impact on him, his partner and the child can be equally as devastating. And that's why we need to look at the entire picture of the whole family approach of supporting both. If we support the father, we support the mum. If we support the mum, we support the father. If we support both of them, the child is, is going to benefit. And it is equally true that we need to look at same-sex partners or any other partnership here. Because I would assume that was kind of my, I guess, my follow-up, my follow-up question in terms of same same-sex couples. Um, they, the the partner could still also have mental health issues based on that whole, as you say, the whole the whole journey of the whole family set up in terms of how it Im, Im, impacts mum, partner, and child. Is that is that is that is that right? It's exactly that. Now, when we, I mean, the father's work that we've been doing is. The, the kind of area that's been g gathering momentum, we, we need to work on those other areas. We recognize that and we promise those people who this affects, this is work in progress. But think about the fathers for the moment and it, it would apply to others. Um, for the fathers, we, we were looking at three areas particularly. Um, those When a father or a partner, whether he's the husband or just a, a partner, um, he may need support should his partner start developing the problems that we've been talking about because up until then there were no resources he wasn't even considered well you know well you just have to care for her there was no information there was no support there was no way of saying well this is what you could do to make it better equally the and and this could then of course have an impact on his own mental health caring for his partner should she have that problem and 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 the way in which she looks after her but he could also develop mental health problems independently of that. And we need to make sure that he gets picked up and any issues that are related to his mental health are picked up. Now, you know, one of the arguments about fathers not being able to get postnatal depression is that surely it's all hormonal. So how can fathers get these hormones? Well, when we're talking about postnatal depression, it's not hormonal for women either. There's only a very small element that's hormonal. Most of the factors, are either psychological or environmental, such as support, income, all these other things that are going on in their lives, like become, you know, loss of independence, change of identity. And for the fathers, it can be equally true. So, you know, for all those reasons, he can also develop problems. Now, a crucial thing here also, and it applies to all partners, is those situations where there is a, a, a traumatic, either a traumatic birth or a birth that's even perceived to be a traumatic birth um, for either of those partners. Now, until relatively recently, the mums weren't getting as much support as we would like, um, certainly for their, for their mental health, and often mums were being misdiagnosed 
with postnatal depression following a traumatic birth when it should have been post-traumatic distress disorder. Um, equally, that father, that partner, is in that birthing room when these problems develop. And he's often removed from the room because there is a potential emergency and he's not given any information support or any guidance about what's going to happen to her, to the family, potentially to him, for their health and their mental health. And that's wrong because we know that simply even encountering or witnessing a trauma is going to have a dramatic effect. But he's not even given the support to know how to support her if she's going to have a psychological bad effect because of the trauma so we need to do more support then we've been doing some work but it's equally true that if a same-sex partner was in that birthing room where the one of those partners was the the, the birth was the birth mother and the other partner it could be her wife it could be whoever who is witnessing this go on it's the person she loves who's potentially dying in or being serious trouble in front of her so we need to make sure we get that support right across the board so the entire family is supported. Yeah, gosh, that's really, um, I mean, as you, you know, as you say, it's a work in progress, but thank God the work is being done. Um, I'm glad that you brought up birth trauma. I actually wanted to kind of delve into this a little bit. Can you, is there a, defi- a, a, a formal definition of birth trauma? There almost certainly is when you look at the, the medical definition, you know, where there's potential sort of um, threat to the, the mother's um, health or even life. But it's much beyond that. I think the definition that we've got at Make Birth Better is a far better one. And it's a sense of that any distress that's related to anything related to, to birthing, and this is right from um, not just the pregnancy, the birth and thereafter, but it goes right back to, to planning to have the baby too. So this could be um, couples who are going through IVF treatment and it's constantly failing. It could relate to, um, to miscarriage. It could re- relate to choices over termination. Um, it could relate to stillbirth and all sorts of things but it doesn't necessarily need to be the most dramatic end. It could be because of a change of birth plan. So let's say a mum wanted to have a home birth with a birthing pool. Things change and they're worried about her health or the health of the baby. And they say, oh no, sorry, you're gonna have to come to hospital now. That could be deemed as being traumatic for that mum. Or she gets to the hospital and she was, you know, because many, many mothers want that experience, painful as it is, still want that birth to be a vaginal birth. And then that opportunity is taken away from her because they have to then do an unplanned cesarean, even though she's she's absolutely fine and there's no real threat. She may perceive that as a birth trauma because that um plan had changed it can be a change of plan too so we need i think we need a much looser definition of trauma to rather take it than what is a traumatic birth to a birth that is viewed to be traumatic by any of the um, birth partners thank you for that um is it is it fair to say that um you're more likely to develop postnatal depression or mental health issues after the baby is born if you suffer from a traumatic birth? 
It is. Um, um, and equally, uh, if there were things going on during pregnancy as well, including antenatal anxiety and depression and all sorts of things like that. But a traumatic birth is going to have an impact clearly on the postnatal mental health. And we, we need to be careful about how we define that uh, postnatally, because it could be potentially a trigger to, say, postnatal depression. Equally, we know that traumatic births, particularly where it's then associated with a lack of sleep for many days, can also be the trigger to things like postpartum psychosis. But when the reaction to that traumatic event is manifest in a way that is very different, let's say the mum is um, remembering um, elements of the, of the birth, the traumatic elements of the birth, maybe she's getting um, in, you know, intrusive thoughts, she's getting flashbacks, or she's avoiding thoughts of that, so she'd go out of a way not to encounter that, or her mood changes so dramatically. And we're not talking, talking about low mood here, we're talking about emotional numbing, or she becomes you know, incredibly jumpy, if you like, um, a, a very um, sort of reactive to even the simplest of noise. When all these things start happening, then that's potentially post-traumatic stress disorder. And the way in which we treat that is very different to the way we, which we treat postnatal depression. So we, we need experts who can be vigilant towards that. Mm, okay. Um, and I also wanted to ask you, because the way that you described some of the, um, I guess, uh, situations in which would be defined as birth trauma um, often happen at the hospital. Now, do does the impact of not of, of the pandemic, and I'm not entirely sure the, the regulations now, I, I do believe that your husband can go into the hospital with you at the moment, but given these new lockdown restrictions, I don't know how that will change. Um, that must be incredibly difficult for both sides to, for the one on hand, for the mother to be experiencing something on her own and then, and then almost having to, in some instances, make decisions for both the couple um, on her own without the support of her partner and then her partner just being left essentially by the wayside waiting to know what's happened. Have you seen a rise in birth trauma or, or, or mental health issues during this time because of the current situation with partners being either allowed in or out of the hospital at specific times? Absolutely, we have. And I, I have to say that I've certainly heard more stories of exclusion than inclusion but then perhaps I would um you know th this is we've already demonstrated and we've spoken about the need for the father to be there and why we need to have all this additional support the evidence is growing and yet all of a sudden now the fathers were being excluded now we kind of get why that might be in terms of the safety of the other people within the hospital but our, the argument is that if those that couple was already self-isolating and was essentially the only people that they were seeing, then there's no additional risk having the father there. Now, this is true of during the um, pregnancy period, so antenatal visits um, and midwifery bookings and the scans, as well as it does the actual birth itself uh, and anything postnatally. Now, we have heard of stories. So uh, imagine a situation where ordinarily it's just taken that these days that the father goes along, perhaps particularly for the initial scan, 
and he can't be there for that. Now, even if we put mental health aside for the moment, not being part of that initial experience for, the, for that couple is taking away part of that wonderful opportunity for the father to be part of that. So that in itself is not good. But we've heard of instances where mums are going along to antenatal visits, including the scans, where something then comes up where the sonographer or the, per or, or the um, midwife or whoever's there at that time then needs to communicate a potential problem. The partner's not in that room to be able to support her or to be able to process what's going on at that time to help her be able to understand a little bit more because it's another pair of ears, but to be emotionally supportive or even to even have to make some of those decisions that need to be made because he can't be there. I'll give you an example, and, and, and I, I, I like, I mean, I've asked the person involved here whether I had permission, and I do. Someone I know well um, had been undergoing, the, the pair of them, uh, herself and her husband, had been going through um, IVF treatment for a number of years, and she eventually did, after many tries, become pregnant. During COVID, some serious complications arose to the point where she actually started losing that baby. She had to be rushed to hospital, but for effectively for the termination, her husband had to stay in the car park, wasn't allowed in. No support for her, distressing for him. And the whole thing is, you know, for many, many reasons is wrong. Now, even the Royal College of obstetricians and gynaecologists have pleaded with hospitals to be more flexible in this respect. Now it's possible that some of this was beginning to let, start getting lifted. Now we're heading back into another um, lockdown for however long that might be, then potentially we can be seeing this again. And I am very worried about the impact it's going to have on the entire family. Um, not having fathers included there, but it's also with mothers too. They're not getting the same maternity, midwifery, pregnancy, and health visiting um, experience that mums would normally get, not for any fault of the people involved, other than, you know, it has to be done in a different way. And the impact, we just don't know, but I don't think it's gonna be a good one. Yeah, gosh, it's really, that's a really awful story. And I'm so sorry for your, for your friend's loss. Um, and the whole ordeal that 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 ran alongside it. Um, we will have listeners who are pregnant, who are going to give birth in the coming weeks and months. If there are, if people are feeling a little anxious, a little apprehensive, concerned, what can they do to help put their minds at ease? I think. Well, there's many things. I mean, obviously, if, if you're truly concerned for someone's health or their mental health, then then and, and or, or for themselves or for their partner, then to start accessing formal treatment through the GP and referral to the, the formal systems would, would be a good idea. But, you know, there's many groups out there at the moment that are particularly looking at the way in which we can provide support um, for um, mental health during COVID. So the likes of Make Birth Better um, and Best Beginnings have got some wonderful resources out there for this period. Some of those are also collecting data right now. We need the data to be able to show what the impact is. But in crucially, uh, the likes of Make Birth Better, we will find ways of signposting people to support if 
that's what's needed. But at the very least, there's um, information resources on there for them to access. Great. Okay, I will make sure that we link to those in the in the show notes. Um, I guess I wanted to end on a on a slightly lighter note. Um, you know, given that this the world is the way that it is, and lockdown is the way that it is, and the government has decided to put things in place the way that they have, are there any positives to have come out of this? For example, maybe in certain situations when we, you know, if you didn't have to go to work, you could stay at home. So maybe the partner was more present in that early stages where traditionally they, they may not have been. Are there any, are there any good things to, 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 to be coming out of, of all of this? I, I think for, for that very reason, potentially, I mean, obviously we, we could look at things where that's not gone so well, but let's focus on those positives because having the partner around more is particularly in what is a, already a very difficult time and a, a, a time of isolation, then having that partner around can be a good thing. Equally, one of the things that worries me most about fathers, for instance, is that they go back to work much sooner. So if their mental health does deteriorate, it often isn't get, doesn't get picked up because work colleagues and line managers aren't necessarily going to look for this. If they're at home, chances are it could get picked up more, potentially. And, you know, there could be a more of a shared experience. Now, I do get if either partner is working from home, then the challenges of looking after the child, particularly in the early days, are going to be difficult. And if, if the father's working from home, he needs to work from home because that's the income. But he's still there. And, and I think that there is a potential positive in that. Um, but there's not very many, but that's that's one. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Um, and we like to end things on a light, light, lighter note as possible. Um, are there anything else that you feel like people should be aware of or know as we just sort of wrap up any sort of, I guess, closing thoughts? I think that the main thing is, is that don't feel that you're alone just because you're going through this and you can't share it, please do share it. And, and that equally applies to any dads that listen to, to your next, or, or indeed the mums who, who could encourage the dads. Because unless you speak out, there's nothing we can do. If you speak out, there is something we can do. We can find you that help. And I think we need to share this experience together so that we can all work together to get through these desperate times. And I think that's my key message really. Well, that's a good one and one that resonates with us. We're all about uh, sharing and supporting. So, Andy, thank you so much. It was really, really lovely to talk to you. Um, I really appreciate your time and your wisdom. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much.